after taking a couple of weeks and looking elsewhere, uh, just three weeks where we talked about kind of a state of the church and then talked some about where our needs are, both financially and with people using their gifts and talents. We're coming back to this sermon series that we started in well over a year ago entitled A Journey with Jesus. We've been in the Gospel of John, and if you were to kind of look ahead and read ahead a little bit, you know that we're almost at the end of that. We are in this last eight-week section out of the Gospel of John. That's how it's going to break apart, about eight, maybe nine weeks. And as you look at this section, these three chapters of the Gospel of John, you will notice, you would realize as you read here that a good portion of what we're going to be talking about for the coming weeks is centered around the passion of the Christ, the last few hours of Christ's life. In these three chapters, well, really two chapters and part of chapter 20, in these few chapters that we've got, we see the end of Christ's life. We see his prayer in the garden. We see his betrayal, his trial, his beating, his crucifixion, his death, and then his resurrection. That's what we're going to be looking at for these weeks coming all the way up through into and through Easter, and then we're going to finish out the Gospel of John uh, sometime in mid-May, probably right before Mother's Day. But today I'm going to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 18. That's where we're going to be reading from, John chapter 18. And we're going to start reading here at verse 1. And I've entitled this sermon, The God Who Knows. The God Who Knows. Now, through, uh, throughout kind of the course of human history, we, we tend to be people who we don't really want everybody to know everything about us. And that's why when we've encountered things that, um, you know, kind of challenge that, it causes us to be a little bit afraid, whether it's something that is real or whether it's something for fictitious. When we think about some of the things in, in fiction that talk about what other people may know and that people know everything, we can think of some of you who read this book back in school, George Orwell's 1984. Our young people today don't even know that that TV show entitled Big Brother comes from that book where Orwell was talking in 1984 in that book about Big Brother always watching every single thing that you do. Most of us are terrified by the thought that Big Brother may be watching. In a little more real sense, as our government has more and more of a reach to try to find out and, and protect our country, sometimes they walk a very fine line with our NSA and, and, and wiretapping and trying to see who might be doing something against our country. They walk a very fine line as to how far they reach and what they can do and what information they gather and what they should know and what they don't know. Now, for most of us, the thought of somebody knowing everything. For most of us, the thought of somebody knowing everything is kind of fearful. It is frightening. But the reason it's frightening for most of us is because we're not sure what that person who knows everything might do with it. That's really the problem, isn't it? The problem is that when somebody knows everything, what are they going to do? How are they going to respond? How are they going to take that? What if our family or our friends knew everything about us? Would they reject us and turn away from us? What if 
Those around us, those that we were closest with, knew everything that there was to know. We have that fear that somehow we'd be cut off. It comes down to a fear of what someone would do with what they know as we deal with this fear of people knowing everything. Now, the reality of Scripture tells us very clearly God does know. And as we look in this passage in John chapter 18, as we look here in this passage, I think that we can see and understand some of the things that God knows, that God sees, but also how God will use what he knows in relationship with us. So I want to read today in John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, we want to talk a little bit about what Jesus knew, and then we also want to talk a little bit about what it means that Jesus knew all of these things and how it means something for us today. So start with me at verse 1 of chapter 18, and it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, what words? Well, looking back at chapter 17, Jesus has just prayed. Jesus has just prayed for himself facing the struggle that's coming. He has just prayed for his disciples in particular, these 12. He's just prayed specifically for them. And he prayed for all of those believers beyond them who were there at that time and all future believers that were to come. He had just prayed all of those things in chapter 17. And it says in verse 1 of 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he and his disciples, they went out over the brook of Kidron where there was a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, we know, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things, that would come upon him, he went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Now you'll remember through our study out of the gospel of John that that word, that phrase, I am, would refer back to the Old Testament statement of who God was and that this statement had been used before. And when Jesus had used this statement before, the Pharisees and the Sadducees became incensed because Jesus was using the name of God. Who are you, Yahweh? Who are you? Some people transliterate it into English, Jehovah, but the word is Yahweh. I am. I am who I am. That's my name. I am the Lord. And Jesus saying to those who had come to capture him, he says, I am he. And it's interesting the response that happens as Jesus says that phrase, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. And when he said, I am he, they fell to the ground. They drew back and fell to the ground. And Jesus asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answered, I have told you, I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. 
Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? We're going to draw a break right there. Often when we read this section, read this passage, we continue on because it all ties together into this description of Jesus in the garden, his betrayal, his trial, and then his beating and death and resurrection. But we're going to break it apart in these weeks ahead, and we're going to stop and focus right here on these first 11 verses of chapter 18. And we're going to talk in particular today about what Jesus knew. As we think about what Jesus knew in this circumstance, now, you know, often we operate from this fear. If, if people knew, if people really knew, if someone knew who I am, if they knew what I, I was, if they knew all the things about me, they would, be, they would be repelled by what they know. We're afraid of those things. And yet, God tells us in his word, I know, I know. And as we look in this passage, we see how Jesus responded to what he knew. Now, there are a few things, and I wrote down a few. There are probably more things that uh, you could list, you could pull out along in this passage, and certainly we could encapsulate all this by saying Jesus knew everything, but some very specific things that Jesus knew that came out of this story. First of all, when we read this account, it's important for us to understand, when we read what happened here, it's important for us to understand that Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. Jesus Jesus knew that. He knew that Judas would betray him. Now here in this passage, in verse 2, it says, Judas knew this garden. He knew of this place where they went. Judas, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place where Jesus, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Judas uh, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that in advance. We, know, we also recognize that Jesus said this to the disciples. He said this to all the disciples. All the way back in chapter 13, which was a couple of months ago, where we read out of this passage and studied here. In chapter 13, where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, where he's having the Last Supper in John chapter 13, Jesus says in verse 17, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, but I don't speak concerning all of you. Not all of you are going to be blessed. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me, and I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Same words that he used with those who came to capture him. Verse 20, most assuredly I say to you, he who receives, whomever I send, receives me. He who receives me, receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And then the disciples looked at each other, perplexed about whom he spoke. And there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, John, one of his disciples. And Simon Peter therefore motioned to him and said, ask of whom it was that he was speaking. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it's he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. And after the piece of bread, Satan entered him and Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. But here in this passage, it really is an interesting thing. 
that it's not just that Jesus had this knowledge about Judas because he had been spending time with him. It wasn't necessarily that Judas had some kind of, some kind of tell. You know, in the movie, if we had some kind of movie, there would be something that would tell us that Judas is going to betray him. He would kind of cut his eyes, or he would be kind of shifty, or we'd see him sticking a little bit of the money in his pocket, which Scripture says that Judas had been taken out of the treasury and using for himself. We would have some kind of little tell here. But this isn't really implying that Jesus, after watching Judas for a while, after seeing all the things that Judas had done, that Jesus knew that Judas was going to be the one to betray him. In fact, here in John chapter um, in John chapter 13, where Jesus is saying, someone's going to betray me, there's this interesting phrase. It says, back in verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Where does that passage come from? Well, it comes all the way over from Psalm 49. If you look over in Psalm 49, I'm going to turn there and read it to you, but you can turn with me if you'd like. Oh, I'm sorry, Psalm 41. Psalm 41, verse 9. Here's what it says. Psalm 41, verse 9. David writes this psalm, but it's a prof prophecy. It's a prophetic psalm, and part of it relates to the coming Messiah, to Jesus. In Psalm 41, verse 9, it says, Even my own familiar friend... It means that Judas was a friend of Jesus. He wasn't just the disciple who was going to betray Jesus. He was a friend of Jesus. Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now, pause with me and think for just a moment about the implication of this. Jesus knew Judas would betray him. When did Jesus know Judas would betray him. He knew as far back as the time of King David, because the Holy Spirit inspires King David to write the words about what was going to happen some thousand years later in Jesus' life. God knew back then. Now, why is that important? If God knew, if Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, that he was going to be his betrayer, why would he even allow Judas to be born? Why would he even give Judas the choice? Because God loves us enough to give us the opportunity to respond to his grace. God knows. Jesus knew Judas would betray him. And yet he was still his friend. What are some of the other things that Jesus knew? Well, there's a few other things that are listed here. Jesus knew Judas would betray him. He also knew everything that was going to happen to him. He knew everything that was coming. Verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. He knew that they were going to take him captive. He knew that they were going to drag him away. He knew that they were going to rip the robe off of him. He knew that they were going to take 
a cat of nine leather straps, a cat of nine tails, with little bits of metal and wood and glass stuck through the leather straps. And he knew that they were going to take that and they were going to lash him across the back 40 times. He knew that it was going to rip his flesh apart. He knew that they were going to take a crown of thorns and they were going to beat it down on his head. He knew that they were going to lay him out on a cross and they were going to take four or five inch spikes and drive them right through the wrist. He knew that they were going to lift him up and that he was going to die on a cross. He was going to suffocate in pain and agony on a cross. He knew it all. He knew everything that was going to happen to him. And he did it anyway. What else did Jesus know? (laughs) He knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew everything that was going to happen to him. Jesus knew that the disciples would, he knew that the soldiers would come for him. He knew every single soldier that was there. He knew them by name. He knew which ones would grab him, which ones would be rough with him, which ones would spit at him, which ones would mock him, and which ones wouldn't. Which ones would be there and be a little softer. He knew which, which Roman centurion would stand at the foot of cross and say, Surely this must have been the Son of God. He knew all of that. He knew that the disciples would be scattered, but that not one of them would be lost. Verse 9 says that the saying might be fulfilled, which was prophesied, the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. He had just prayed that back in chapter 17. He just said, Lord, you know I'm not going to lose a single one of these. The saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. He knew that every single disciple, he knew that they would all be scattered. He knew that they would all depart because Scripture had said, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter, every single one. He knew all of that. He knew that they would all be scattered, that they would all leave him, but not one single one would be lost. He knew about Peter. He knew the bragging of Peter. He knew what Peter would say. Not only in the Gospel of John, if you flip back to chapter 13, again in chapter 13, it says in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, where can I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you've denied me three times. Now, that sounds a little bit better than over in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 26, it gives a little more detail. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And here's what Peter said. Peter answered and said to him, Lord, even if every single one of those guys abandons you, I won't. Even if they're all made to stumble, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, I will die for you before I deny you. Jesus knew all the disciples would be scattered. He knew Judas would betray him. He knew the soldiers who would come for him. 
He knew everything that would happen. He knew that Peter, in his boasting, would say, I'm going to stand with you, and that he would deny him anyway. Now, why is that significant? You know, there's always this tension that has existed in the church. There's this tension that has existed in the Christian church about whether God predetermines all our choices or he just knows all our choices. Now, as we scan through Scripture in the entirety of Scripture, there are times where it says we are predestined. We are predestined in the image of God. What that simply means is this. You know, I have have had some things predetermined about me. I have had certain things predetermined about me, and you have too. It was predetermined where you were going to be born and who you were going to be born to. You weren't floating up there in the blackness, in the darkness, and before your conception say, I'm searching for a nice family that I can go and be born to. I choose them. No, you had no choice. God predestined you in that sense. You may not have had some determination about some of the things that make up who you are. Your physical appearance, there are certain things that were predetermined, predestined. Your talents and your abilities, though we may improve our skills, We are given certain things that we have strengths in and other things that we are weaker in. That was predetermined. What God says in his word is that there are certain things that are predestined. But he also describes in his word that there are certain things that you are given a choice in. Joshua said to all of the nation of Israel, you choose. I choose him. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me, as for my household, we are making our choice and we're standing with the Lord. God never predetermines our choice. God gives us the choice to follow him or not to follow him. Now, he may send some circumstances that will steer us closer to him. He may cause some things to happen. He predetermines some things to happen that will nudge us closer. But I still have a choice. Jesus knew all of these things. He knew everything that was going to happen. He had a foreknowledge of every single one of them. He did not predetermine that Judas would betray him. He did not predetermine that his disciples would be scattered. He did not predetermine that Peter would deny him three times, but he knew. And even though he knew, he came anyway. He came knowing full well all of those that he called would leave him. He came knowing every single one would walk away. He came knowing every single thing, and yet he showed grace and mercy anyhow. Now, it kind of begs the question, you know, is that just something that he did then because he was accomplishing some purpose on Calvary with the cross? You know, maybe he did it then, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's that forgiving and that he's that kind and that he's that gracious now. Well, let me remind you of a few things that Scripture says. Just because Jesus knew then, does it mean that he knows now? Well, there are a few things in Scripture that indicate that he does do the same thing now that he did then. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a human being. He is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, no shifting, no shadow due to change. And it leads to this question. When we talk about the God who knows, and talk about what Jesus knew, it leads to this question. If God knows all these things now, if God knows all these things now, three questions that arise. The first is this. If God knows, why do we worry so much? I'm going to pause and get a little personal. What is it you walked in here today worried about? Maybe several things. Maybe the one big thing. What is it you are worried about? Worried about your family, kids, your spouse. Worried about your job finances, you worried about your health, some doctor's appointment, some thing that's impending or coming, what is it you're worried over? If God knows all these things, if he sees what's coming, And if we believe that he loves us, that he cares for us, if we believe that he has our best at heart, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a future, to take care of tomorrow. If we believe those things, what are we so worried about? Why do we worry so much? If God knows, if God knows, why do we turn to so many other places before we turn to the Lord? If God knows, if he knows what the struggle is, if he knows what the issue is, if he knows where the trouble is coming from, if he knows what's coming, even if I don't know it myself, if God knows now, why do we look in so many other places for answers? Oh, we'll go to our friends, we'll go to our family, may even go to a pastor, to a trusted leader. Well, listen, those aren't bad places to go. They're just bad places to go first. But often our first response is to talk to spouse, kids, parents, friends, doctor, boss, trusted advisor, counselor. 
But if God knows, if he knows the struggle, if he knows what's coming, if he has all of this in mind, if he has foreknowledge of everything that's going to happen, everything that's going to come, and in spite of all the mistakes and failures that I'm going to make, in spite of all the things that I'm going to do wrong, he knows and he loves me and he has plans for me anyway, why then do I spend so much time seeking answers out there instead of there? God knows. Why do we look in so many other places for answers? If God knows, if he knows now, then why do we hesitate? Why do we hesitate? Why do we hesitate to draw near, to submit, and to seek his direction? If he knows, shouldn't that be where we begin? And yet there is still something in us, pride, maybe, fear, doubt, but he knows. He knows. He's already got the answer. He's already got plans. He's already got our best, your best, my best in mind. And since he knows, it's time to stop hesitating. It's time to stop turning so many other places and turn to him bringing it, whatever it is, to him. Because he knows and he cares. Pray with me. Lord, right now, today, I ask that you would stir in our hearts. Lord, there are some things that you predetermined about us. Lord, you made certain choices for us as we were born, as we were conceived and formed and fashioned. You've even made certain choices that would influence us and affect us through these years. But Lord, you haven't chosen whether we would believe. You haven't chosen whether we would follow. You haven't chosen whether we would submit. You haven't chosen whether we would stop resisting you or turn to you or not. Why don't you leave all those choices to us? You know what we'll choose, but you haven't chosen for us. So, Lord, this day, because you know, because you know my flaws, my sin, because you know our failures and mistakes, because you know where our fears are, our doubts are, because you know 
and you love us in spite of what you know. Lord, impress upon our hearts that it's safe, that it's okay. That drawing near to you, bringing our burdens to you, bringing our fears to you, bringing our failures to you, it's what you desire. It's why you went to the cross. It's why you were willing to bear the shame. So, Lord, because you know and love us anyway, I pray that today we would begin the process of seeking and start with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.